Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Auction. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. I'm pleased to have as my guest today, Jerry Doctrow, who is an expert on the senior living industry, as well as a personal friend of many years standing. Jerry was a respected equity research analyst specializing in senior housing and healthcare real estate. He was recognized seven times as a Wall Street Journal all-star analyst. And since retiring in 2015, he has formed Robust Retirement LLC, which describes his own so-called retirement very well. He writes the Robust Retirement blog and continues to consult within the industry. Jerry, great to have you on our podcast. Thanks for joining you. Happy to join. And the, uh, the senior living industry has invested a lot of money in creating institutions designed to house adults as they age. Uh, I'm aware of independent living, assisted living, rehab facilities, nursing homes. Are, are there others in addition? Um, well, rehab facilities I put in a separate category, but they're usually part of skilled nursing in this. But the way the industry defines seniors housing and care is um, a facility that provides housing and supportive services. And they typically put them in four groups, independent living, which is meals, hospitality services, assisted living, which is those things, plus uh, assistance with the activities of daily living, um, uh, nursing homes, which are providing primarily health care, um, and then CCRCs, Continuing Care Retirement Communities, which cover the, 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 the full range of those services in one facility. Okay. Um, the problem seems to be, though, that no one I know in their 60s or 70s wants to live in any of them. Uh, is the industry aware of that? And if they are, what are they doing about it? I think the industry is aware of it. And... Um, more keenly aware of it because COVID has reduced occupancy levels and made it um, people more reluctant to move into group facilities. Um, but I would, I'd say a couple things. I think when consumers talk about it, um, they actually have a somewhat broader definition because there's things like I would call active adult, like Sun City, the villages um, that are more single family homes, don't really provide services that people consider options for seniors housing. Uh, there's also various kinds of senior apartments uh, that don't provide meals or hospitality services that people also consider when they think about their range. Um, but I think what's important is these really don't serve primarily people that young. Uh, at 75 uh, and above, 80, over 80% of seniors out there live somewhere else. Um, um, in, in their homes, in apartments, in condos. And um, by the time you get to 85, about 40% live in some, some kind of supportive facility, seniors housing care facility. So I think one of the things that people regularly do is assume it's for somebody too young, uh, younger than they really are. Uh, you know, um, um, and I think what... Um, I was just at my 50th college reunion, so everybody there is about um, 70, 72, uh, 74. They're all retired, about to be retired, semi-retired. Um, 
but very few of them, if any, uh, live in a senior housing facility. Um, they live in their homes that they've lived in for a long time, or maybe they live in a condo or apartment or a vacation home, but uh, they're not yet ready for seniors housing. Well, are you saying that when those people get into their 80s, late 80s, then they're more likely to move into those facilities? Right. I mean, what the data says is they're more likely to move these days when they get to be 80, 85. And still 60% of them at 85 are still living in the community, not living in a senior facility. Hmm. Well, I, as I talk to my friends, that's, that's really what we all want. We all want to age in place in our homes uh, till the very end, if possible. Um, are you seeing the industry look at new services that might make it easier to age in place for longer? Um, I think there's some evidence that that's indeed the case. There was a transaction noted the other day where United Healthcare bought a company called LHC, which is a home health provider uh, for $5 billion, $5.4 billion. Um, and prior to that, another managed care company had bought uh, another home health company and a third bought another. So the managed care companies uh, that are providing you health care are increasingly getting into the home health business. And I think many seniors prefer to stay in their own home or um, some mixed age setting uh, and get health care delivered to the extent they need it. So th that's the big com competition. And it seems like the big competition is getting um, uh, more backing from big managed care companies to give people those options the same place. So there are some alternatives along those lines that I've been reading about. Uh, one of them uh, that sounds like it would fit in with, with what you just talked about with, with the managed care and the, and the home health is the villages movement. Um, I, not to be confused with the villages in Florida, which is something else, but the villages movement, as I understand it, is a collection of older folks in a, in a geographical area who sign up to be members of this, this cooperative um, they get a lot of educational programming, they get a lot of social programming, um, and they recruit volunteers to do some of the things like hang the pictures or turn the mattresses or things like that, that are things that people might not be able to do on their own as they get older. Again, toward the, the idea of uh, staying at home longer, being in a community longer, um, are you familiar with that or have you seen any, any, anything written about that? So I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with that. And I think, um, you know, the other thing I worry is, is that, uh, as we get more and more people past 85, um, whether the way we left in these communities, to hang the pictures and, uh, and that sort of thing. So, uh, um, you know, I would say the, the, uh, dedicated senior housing care facilities range in price from about 3200 a month to over 10000 a month. So, um, you know, I think one of the things the industry is grappling with as well is how to provide um, alternatives that more middle-income, moderate-income um, families can use. And I think the villages is one way to do that. 
Um, but, um, you know, there are services that you can provide in a community that's specifically designed in terms of accessibility, social programming, um, um, that, that are harder to do, I think, in a, in a, in a more informal right. um, setting like the villages. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I've, I've also noticed that some of them, including a couple in Baltimore, have not uh, made it through COVID through the pandemic successfully. Uh, apparently, the economics are kind of difficult uh, to make it happen. There's, there's a couple of things on that. I think not all facilities have been affected the same way. Um, so the CCRCs, which are bigger, um, have uh, somewhat younger, healthier clientele. Um, um, and we're better able to sort of um, socially distance and that sort of thing. We're not really affected any worse than the community at large, but skilled nursing um, and memory care facilities where it's very hard to get people to mask and uh, socially distance and, um, you know, we're much more affected. Um, so I think it depends on which type of facility was hurt. But occupancy overall, because facilities restricted visitation. Um, people were afraid to move. There were certainly some horror stories in the paper and some facilities were, were decimated. Um, uh, occupancy was very much hurt and um, um, it's just now beginning to rebound pretty consistently across the industry. Do, do you see it rebounding um, going forward or do you see uh, the, the upcoming generation being a being a problem for the industry? Well, I think some of both things are happening. I think one, the, the um, if we focus on the 85 plus population, where you've got maybe 40% of those people in um, housing and communities that offer housing and care, um, um, that group grows from about six and a half million today to, um, you know, over 14 million by um, 2040, I think. But it really doesn't start taking off until 2030 or 2026, if you're looking at 80. Um, so there's a lot of growth coming and there's probably more demand um, than there is space now, even for dedicated facilities. Um, but um, uh, you know, again, that growth comes a little later um, than I think people think. Um, I think there's also still reluctance among the current uh, potential customers and the future potential customers um, to make that move. And I think the community, need, the, the industry needs to find some ways to um, address those, those issues. But the growth is coming, I think, one way or the other, just because the numbers are, if you wait long enough, the numbers are really in their favor. I think what, what I'm seeing is for people in the 70s, our, our contemporaries maybe, um, I think a lot of it's do-it-yourself. I mean, people are putting together um, environments and situations that work for them. Um, you know, I think you and I have talked about since pe people are developing specialized facilities that are mixed age or something like that. But what I see among my contemporaries um, is... They'll buy a condo, uh, they'll arrange for some services, they'll buy a condo in, in a place where they've got access to a pool, they've got access to a gym, they can walk to shopping, uh, they can walk to theater, 
Um, and that works for um, pretty well um, for meeting most of their needs. And so, for, again, for folks that can afford it, um, they're putting together mixes of home health care or drop-in services. I mean, these days you can order everything online, delivered. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility up, out there for people to construct their own lifestyle in a, in a, in a setting that they, they, uh, they're more comfortable in. And a lot of people, I think, like mixed-aged communities. They don't want to be ghettoized into only seniors. I'm, I'm trying to get my mind around the idea of uh, Uber healthcare. Uh, driving to your door with your with your nurse or your doctor. <laughs> uh, I think you know. I have a ninety five year old father in law who is still at home. Um, his wife's a little younger, so she's able to take care of him, and they have home health in um, pretty much every day for a few hours. And you know, for right now that works for them. So, so uh, among the uh, the solutions that I have seen uh, that. Are appealing to our contemporaries is uh, a, a senior housing development called Margaritaville, um, where everybody starts doing tequila sunrises at noon and and uh, goes out partying and and just lives lives the Jimmy Buffett lifestyle in the in the on the beach for for the rest of their days. It doesn't appeal to me, but it it certainly is an alternative. Are you seeing uh, other niches like that showing up? There are, there are some. Um, some senior housing being developed on college campuses or adjacent to college campuses that people can take courses, um, have some of that college lifestyle around them. Oh, right. You know, I think when you, when you see, talk to seniors and there's children, uh, I think often the children see them as old, frail um, and um, I think seniors themselves don't see themselves that way. They see themselves as healthier, wanting to have a good time, right. uh, not be stigmatized. And, um, you know, again, when, when you have these discussions about where should you move, um, um, there's a trade-off between <laughs> maybe having a good time and, and being safe. And I think that the children are often focused on being safe. And the senior, uh, regardless of age, mental health, um, um, you know, is, is, is more focused on having a, an enjoyable, pleasant lifestyle. Um, and um, what was important about the facility more than the physical setting, and a lot of these are beautiful places, uh, uh, I think is what's the culture, what's the environment, right. what's cultural offerings, what social offerings there are. And I think there are times when, when um, you want to look at it as objectively as you can. You want to look at what services are provided. You want to look at what the atmosphere is. You want to look at what your um, friends and neighbors are going to be like. Um, but um, I think for a lot of these facilities, while you are in a community that is uh, 100% 80 or above, or, um, um, they still offer fairly stimulate and stimulating environments. And um, compared to being at home, your home, being totally isolated, uh, or having a caregiver a few hours a day, um, you know, the social interaction and the social and educational programming can be, um, you know, very stimulating and be, it can be a good environment for people. And I think particularly when you've got a couple, one spouse that needs more healthcare than the other, um, I think these facilities work. I think if your mobility is limited, 
your family's not around, so you don't have that kind of interaction. Again, I think the facilities can provide a very good level of service and care. Okay. Um, one other thing you brought up um, that I want to come back to um, is these are alternatives for people generally who have sufficient resources. Um, there does not seem to be, to my knowledge, much in the middle income service area for 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 people who are of middle income or lower income uh, as alternatives in retirement. Do you see anybody trying to fill that gap? Um, there's about a million subsidized senior apartments in the U.S. Um, so um, many of those don't offer sort of the full range of services, but that's one alternative. And I think you, you do see um, not-for-profit organizations um, that are trying to put together uh, affordable housing and some modicum of services using home health. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's easier to do if the, if the uh, residents can afford it. Uh, but uh, uh, something called the National Investment Center for Seniors Housing and Care um, I worked with a group on, they did a study last year of, um, um, middle income seniors housing and how it would get done and where it's getting done and provide examples. And there's a follow-up study being done, um, by a group I do some work with called the NORC, which is a social science research organization. So there is an effort to try and find good ways to sort of serve a more moderate income population, but it's, it's not. It's not easy. Well, you come out of the affordable housing industry, which was also never easy. So I guess you're familiar with, with that. Right. And, it, and it's, it's, you have a lot of similar issues, but you've got to find a way to fund the service component. Uh, one one uh, development that I'm aware of, and I, I think I've mentioned it to you as, as a, a developer who thinks he's got a middle income solution and he's in Florida called cozy home communities. And his idea, I think, is to build some modest size houses around a community center in the center and have maybe eight, eight houses in a community center and then build additional pods as demand shows up. And, and he thinks that's an, an alternative that would be uh, able to keep the costs affordable. Um, does that sound like it has any potential? Um, it does. I think there have been some people that have done that, particularly looking at memory care, where having a small size uh, house works well for sort of providing services. So I've seen pods and maybe a central little dining room uh, for some programming. Um, so I think that can work. I mean, there you're talking about maybe a less expensive physical structure. Right. Um, you still got to find a way to provide the... Um, the service component. But um, I think the other thing we're seeing is housing within a community like the villages you talked about, but also if you have a, a neighborhood, uh, somebody in the Bay Area was building um, fairly modest apartments within ethnic communities mm -hmm. where there's a lot of support services and um, um, people could shop at the local grocer and and that sort of thing and, and get help from local aid agencies, um, again, in a fairly affordable unit. So that's another way people are trying to get uh, get the pricing down. I've 
I've always been fascinated by the idea of co-housing as another way to do that, that with the thought that you have um, individual homes, but they don't really build kitchens into them. And you have a central kitchen where everybody comes and has a group meal uh, and everybody sort of shares the whole the whole uh, setup. It's, it's, it's you have an individual unit, but basically you're buying into a community, an intentional community. Um, has there been anything rising up out of that movement that seems to have promise? I think the thing I see more of is um, where you're doing shared housing, where you have a um, uh, a younger um, person join a senior in a house and the younger person provides healthy okay. meals and services. And I think that's a model that could work and would be exploited more than it has been to date. So, Okay. Taking all this into account, Jerry, uh, what do you think the future holds for us as we, uh, as we go from being active elders to being uh, doddering relics uh, <laughs> and needing different forms of care? Well, again, I think for those who can afford it, um, and who get to a point in their lives where they need supportive services. Um, there's a lot of really good seniors housing and care facilities out there, a lot of good providers. And um, uh, if you've got the money, uh, you, you have lots of choices. Um, and, um, but again, I think it's for, it tends to be for people that are 80 or 85 who have started to get frail or have a spouse who started to get frail and needs that little support um, for other seniors, um, either because they can't afford it or because uh, they don't need that level of service. I think, um, uh, again, there's a lot of sort of mixing and matching that people do. And there's a range of things you, you, you can try. What's important is to think have a realistic assessment and your family have a realistic assessment of what you need. Uh, we have a neighbor here whose wife just passed away. This is my condo um, uh, a month or so ago who um, she had, she's, she's been in bad health for a long time. has been in a wheelchair and, but didn't want to move from the condo. Uh, didn't want to be in that senior housing facility. And I think it took, it took a toll on her and more importantly on her spouse, who was uh, her 24 seven caregiver. And uh, he was also in his 80s. And um, uh, I don't think that was the best choice that, that people make. There was an article in the journal the other day about people with the money upsizing from 3,000 square foot to 5,000 square foot houses. So they placed their grandchildren to come visit and that sort of thing, multi-level. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's a good choice necessarily either. Um, but you know, there's a range of choices out there. And um, again, it becomes much more difficult it's much easier if you can if you've got the income to afford it, but there's a range of choices out there that make sense and change over time as as the senior gets older and your health condition changes or the condition of your spouse changes. But all right, Jerry, thank you very much for taking time to to give us that that good overview. Um, you can read Jerry's uh, comments about the industry at robustretirement.org, where he blogs. Dot com. And uh, thank you once again. Dot com. Robustretirement.com. And thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, Don.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The End Game, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The End Game.